Наш Бог самегущий Бог. Some of you are not very trusting. What I said in Russian is, our God is an awesome God. Praise the Lord. We sang about his greatness. It's so, I'm so glad to feel the power of the Holy Ghost in this place. I'm thankful. You know, you can come to church and wonder if brother so-and-so will come or sister so-and-so will be here. But you never have to worry about whether the Lord's going to be here. Because the Bible says wherever two or more are gathered together in his name, he will be here. I'm thankful for his presence in this place tonight. Praise the Lord. I'm sorry my wife could not be with me. I came down early for meetings at headquarters, and, uh, and uh, she stayed home. She's flying down from Wisconsin. And by the way, it's great to be in warm weather again. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm from Wisconsin, you know, where we have two seasons. We have winter and then not so winter. And right now it's winter, and when I left it was 21 below zero, and we were having highs of minus 9, minus 7. So it's good to be in balmy weather, isn't it? Praise God. You're not rejoicing. <laughs> Hallelujah. But I'm, I'm, I'm so glad to be here. I wish my wife could have been here. And I want to thank your pastor for allowing me to come. And I don't take it for granted when somebody gives me their pulpit to preach behind. And I've been praying about this service, and I haven't done this for a long time, but I'm going to tell some missionary stories in particular about how I came to the field. And before I start, I want to say I'm glad to be with Brother Harding. Harding. I have known Brother Harding for many years. We've been on committees together. And I'm going to be with him in Kenya, Africa also in March. So anyway, good to see you, brother. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, if you would turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. And again, I'm so glad to be here. And I just want the Lord to have his way today. You know... My wife and I were not raised in a Pentecostal church. I wish to God we had been. I think the best testimony anybody could ever have is that you've been raised in an apostolic church and God has kept you all these years. That's the very best testimony anybody could ever have. But my wife and I were not so fortunate. We were raised Roman Catholic, and at the age of 26, we became roaming Catholics. And we happened to roam into an apostolic church in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And what a shock, because we thought those people were so poor because there were no stained glass windows. There were no statues. There wasn't even holy water at the front door. So we thought these people must be dirt poor. But when the service started, people were clapping and singing and shouting and dancing. And I thought, they're crazy. But I felt something in that place I had never felt before. I felt the presence of the Almighty God. And even though I didn't understand it, I wanted what those people had. Because there was a desire in my heart when I laid on my bed at night and said, there's got to be more to this life than what I know. I'm so thankful that God loves Catholics. I'm so thankful that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I'm so thankful that I've been filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in his name, and I'm so thankful that God has called me to the mission field. Praise the Lord. And I'm thankful to know that Christianity is not a religion. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. God is not looking for habitual people. God's looking for faithful people. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, it's good to be faithful to the house of God. You should. And you should have a habit of coming and going to church every time there's church. 
But that is not what keeps you saved. The Bible says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You have to have a daily walk with Christ. Praise the Lord. You have to speak to him every day. You have to read his word every day. You have to spend time with him every day. You know, I heard a man one time. I'll, I'll get to my message. <laughs> I just feel like saying this. I heard a man one time say, Christians don't tell lies. They sing them. You stop and think about that sometimes. Some of the words that we sing in those songs, you have to stop and ask yourself, do you really live that? Do you really believe it? It's not just singing, it's worship. Worship is not just from the mouth, it's from the heart. And when we sing to the Lord, we offer that up to him as a sacrifice of praise. I want to mean every word that I sing unto the Lord. Jesus, my greatest possession. I want him to be my greatest possession. Jesus, my everything. I want him to be my everything. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And I'm so glad that he's here tonight. I'm glad you're here tonight. You know, when we are gathered together in his name, God has a purpose for us. And even though you may have heard some of the things I'll say many times before from the scripture, you still need it today. And you're here and God wants to do a work in your heart. So open up your heart as we open up the word of God. Praise the Lord. Matthew chapter 14, starting at verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray and when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him, said, Lord, if it, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on this water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gesnesaret. And when the man, men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all that country round about, and brought unto him all that were diseased, and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We read these stories, and, and sometimes we don't stop to think that this is a true happening, something that really happened. And when we read our scriptures, we need to slow down a little bit and understand what's happening in those stories. Now, the Bible says that Jesus had to constrain his disciples to get into the ship. I don't know why they didn't want to go, but the, the Bible says he constrained them. In other words, he forced them to get into that boat. 
The Bible doesn't say why they didn't want to go, but maybe if you back up a few uh, verses, you'll find that they just came from the feeding of the 5,000. As a matter of fact, they didn't feed just 5,000. It was 5,000 men plus women plus children with five loaves of bread and two fish. And when they were done, they gathered up 12 baskets of leftovers. Now, that's a miracle. So maybe they're like some of us today where they just want to hang out where the blessings are. They just want to hang out where the miracles are happening. When God has something outside these four walls for us to do, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So I don't know why, but he had to constrain him to get into the boat. Now, you have to admit, when they, when they obeyed the Lord, when they got into the boat, they were in the perfect will of God. The Lord told them, get in the boat. They got in the boat, and he told them to go across to the other side. Now, you may be under the assumption that if you're in the will of God, you're doing what he wants you to do, then you're going to have blue skies and calm seas. But that is very seldom how it happens. And the Bible says in this case, even though they were in the will of God, contrary winds came. You know what that means? That means they had resistance. That means something came against them. Now, if they were like some 21st century Christians, sometimes when we get a strong resistance, we tend to give up. We tend to turn around. We tend to quit. But these men kept going in spite of the contrary winds. And I want to tell you this. If they had turned around and gone back like maybe some of us would have, they would have missed four miracles. Four miracles they would have missed if they did not keep doing what the Lord told them to do in the face of adversity. I wonder sometimes how many miracles we missed because we failed to keep going when the Lord told us to keep going. We have prayed for unsaved loved ones. We have prayed for miracles of healing. And sometimes it doesn't come as fast as we think it should. And sometimes we get discouraged. We say it must not be the will of God. And we quit and we miss the miracle that God has in store for us. Saints of God, if God told you to do something, if God gave you a promise, you need to keep on going and keep on going until the fulfillment of that promise happens. Praise the Lord. Four miracles they would have missed. Number one, first miracles, they walked on water. Uh, Jesus walked on water, I mean. Now, up in Wisconsin this time of year, that's not much of a miracle. Because everybody in Wisconsin right now is walking on water. But we're talking about walking on water without ice. Miracle number one, they saw Jesus walking on the water. Miracle number two, Peter, and I don't know why in the world he said this, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come. The Bible distinctly said they were sore afraid. But Peter says, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come. Miracle number two is that Peter walked on the water. Now, everybody that talks about Peter, they talk about how he sank. But don't forget, he walked on water, and that's a miracle. And when he, when he did take his eyes off, off the Lord and he did sink, he had the shortest prayer meeting in the world. Lord, save me. And the Bible says that Jesus took him by the hand, and they both walked back to the boat. Amen. 
Number three, there was a storm, and when Jesus got in the boat, the storm stopped. Miracle number three. Miracle number four, the Bible says when they got to the other side, they gathered up all the sick folk they could find, and as many who came for healing received a healing. Four miracles they would have missed if they had turned back. That should be a lesson to us, not to give up, not to quit. And I, I felt very led to tell you this tonight. And I'm going to tell a story that I haven't told in a long time. My wife and I have been missionaries to the Soviet Union for 26 years now, going on 26 years. We were the first United Pentecostal Church family to live in the Soviet Union after the wall came down. Now, what's strange about that, when I went to the mission field, I was not a preacher. And maybe you're thinking, well, you're not much of a preacher now either. But I wasn't a preacher. I have a degree in marketing education and another degree in computer science. They're not exactly spiritual subjects. And I was the principal of a Christian school for 13 years. Now, some people say kids hate school. I don't think so. I think it's the principal of the thing they hate. <laughs> and I was the principal. But I remember one time getting a book from the library that talked about the persecuted saints of the Soviet Union. When I read that book, God gripped my heart, and I began to cry and weep, and I made a promise to the Lord. I said, Lord, if you ever make a way for me to go to the Soviet Union, I'll go. Almost every day for 10 years, my wife and I prayed for the persecuted saints of the Soviet Union. In February of 1992, I was at an altar in a Sunday evening service in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and I made the promise that I would go. And at that time, it was totally impossible for anybody to go. It wasn't open. We were enemies, and there's no way I could go. In May of that year, I received a phone call from a man who worked with uh, Accelerated Christian Education, and they invited me to go to the country of Belarus, which is one of the former Soviet republics. And I was invited by the Minister of Education for that nation to help put Christian principles into their public schools. I'm not talking about America. I'm talking about the former Soviet Union. I was so shocked. We didn't have any money. We had no way of going as a principal of a Christian school. And we sold everything we could sell, and we, we rented out our house and all that. And a little while later, we were over in Belarus. Now, when we got there, we didn't know anybody there. Belarus is a nation of 11 million people. You will know it probably at white, as White Russia. And they call it White Russia because the people there have blonde hair and blue eyes, unlike other Russian-speaking people. And we went to the capital city of Minsk. And when we got there, I couldn't speak, we couldn't speak any of the language. And I remember going to the grocery store with my wife, and back then everything was behind the counter, and they had very, very little. We stood in lines to buy products. I remember standing in line to, to uh, buy a, uh, for three hours to buy a chicken that looked like it died from starvation. One time I stood in line for eight hours. The average salary was $10 a month. 
we couldn't speak any Russian. We went into the store, and all we could do is point and grunt like, mm, 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 mm. and then, you know, mm. and they would, in Russian, tell me the price. Well, it just sounded like to me because I didn't know any Russian at that time. So I'd go, and they'd write it down. I'd go to the cashier, and I took out this money. had squirrels and rabbits and wolves and stuff on it, and I didn't know anything about it. And they'd help me count it out, and they'd give me a receipt, and then I'd have to go stand in line and get the product again. And after we got there and met the minister of education, he said, I'm sorry to waste your time and bring you over here, but I've changed my mind. I can't let you do what I wanted you to do because if I do and the communists come back to prison, I come back to power, they'll put me in prison. And fast forward, that man did go to prison. So he said, you're on your own. Now here I'm in an apartment, and I remember praying every day, looking out my window in a city of two million, seeing people go by, and I can't even speak the language. It would have been so easy to call home and say, you know what, something's wrong. There was a mistake. I can't do this. I'm in a land I know nobody. I'm in a country I can't speak the language. I can barely go shopping. I'm going to go home. But I knew with all my heart that God made a way where there was no way. And when I prayed, God told me that he called me to that land and if he called me to that land, God was going to do something in spite of my lack. He began to pray. A couple weeks went by. One day, we're in our apartment, and the telephone rings. Do you have any idea what it feels like? You're in a foreign country. You can't speak the language, and your telephone rings? That's what I call a traumatic experience. Being the man of the house, I thought, okay, I'll answer the phone. I thought, I'll say the first thing to come into my mind. I picked up that phone and I said, hello? That's all I could think of. Fortunately for me, on the other end of the line was a woman named Larissa Pichinook, who was a professor at a university. Now, she said something to me that was very, very strange. She said, I have heard you on our national radio and I would like to come and speak to you about your work in my country. I said, ma'am, I don't know who you are, and I have no idea what you've been listening to, but I have not been on your radio. Now, I don't know what you call that, but I call it a miracle. I have no idea what that, that lady listened to. I have no idea. She came to our house, and she said, she talked to us. She said, I'm going to help you. You wait here. I'll be back in a few days. A few days she come back and she said, I got good news for you. I got you a job teaching at a university. Now, I wasn't a real missionary. I was an aimer at the time because there were no missionaries in the Soviet Union. And so now I'm thinking, here I am. I'm not even a real missionary. And I have to write a newsletter home saying, pray for me. I am teaching marketing at a university. Not exactly the missionary letter you want to send home. But I was able to teach marketing based on biblical principles, something I cannot do in America. 
By the way, I ended up teaching in four universities. And from my first marketing class, two young men came to me and said, we want to know more about your God. We took them home and gave them a Bible study. One of those men is Brother Pasha Rogich. We baptized him in Jesus' name. Brother Pasha received the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. And today, Pasha and his wife are over all the churches, all 43 churches and work uh, uh, preaching points in Belarus. He's in charge of all of them today. Praise the Lord. God will make a way where there is no way. We began having services, and I remember in one of our services, and by the way, we had, we had service in this theater. It had a big stage, and over here was a big statue of Lenin. And so I thought, I'll, I'll teach him a song. We'll sing, come Lenin, sing, come Lenin, rejoice. <laughs> come Lenin, sing, come Lenin, rejoice. But he just stood there. My wife doesn't think my jokes are funny, but probably because she's heard them a lot. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But I remember one time holding up a bottle of oil and saying, the Bible teaches us that if there are any sick, we can anoint them with oil in the name of Jesus, and Jesus can heal your body. That particular service, there was an elderly woman, she was holding a, a four-year-old girl, I found out later her age, and she came up to the platform and she said, can your Jesus heal my granddaughter? I said, yes, he can. What's the problem? She said, my granddaughter was born with a crooked foot. She wears a corrective shoe, and without that shoe, she has difficulty walking. We anointed that little girl with oil in Jesus' name. I held her foot like this. As we prayed, God began to turn that foot. By the time we were done praying, that foot was completely straightened out. That girl never used that shoe again. Today she can walk and hop and skip and jump like any other child because God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. Hallelujah. I went, I met a man, he, actually he came to my house and I don't even know how, I, how he knew I was even in the country, but he was from another city called Brest. His name is Brother Alexander Baran. Today he's a regional missionary and travels all throughout Russia. But he, I met him and he had a Bible school and one Saturday I decided to drive there. I was with Brother Balsa, if you know Brother Balsa. And we were, uh, we went to... Uh, actually, to see his Bible school. But when we got there, Bible school was just getting over, and I'm standing with Brother Balsa, and two young ladies, they, they were in their late teens, early 20s, they walked up to me, and one gave me a book and said, this is what we believe. Well, I took the book, it was written in Russian, but the title said, The Oneness of God by David K. Bernard. I said, well, hallelujah, sister, that's what I believe too. And she said, well, will you, will you come to our village? She said, I'll, I'll contact the elders and they can call you and I'm sure they want you to come. It was in a little village called Masti. 
And I, I drove there with Brother Pasha, who used to interpret for me when I couldn't speak Russian. And when I got there, I found out that these people were what we would call Urshanites. They were elderly people, but their parents had received the Holy Ghost when Andrew Urshan was teaching and preaching in the Soviet Union. And these people had been sent to the gulags out in Siberia. And after the Soviet Union collapsed, they were freed from the gulags, and now they were back in the village of Masti. We had church in their living room. And after church, what they do is the song service goes on and on. It goes, it goes I mean, the altar call goes on and on and on. And what they do is they take the ministry and the elders and they feed them in another room while the young people continue to worship God and, and have altar call and all that kind of stuff. And I remember sitting there between the two elders, Brother Ivan, which we would call Ivan, and uh, Brother Victor. And we were eating soup, and I'll never forget it. I looked over at Brother Victor, and I said, Brother Victor, this blows my mind. I am an American, and I'm preaching the gospel in the Soviet Union. I said, doesn't this blow your mind? And he said, no, it doesn't blow my mind. And I said, how can you say that? He says, Ray, you don't understand. He said, when we were in the gulags, at night, we would have service because the, the billets, the barracks were so bad that the guards wouldn't come in and they would leave us alone so we could have service. We could pray and we could sing and we could, uh, we could uh, have our services. And he said, in one of those services, there was a prophecy that said this, the day will come when a foreigner will come to your country. You will have service in this building in, in this living room, and you will have the windows open. He said, Brother Nichols, look at this. We're in the house. You're the foreigner that God said would come. And he said, look at the windows are open just like the Holy Ghost said, signifying freedom of religion. In that service, during song service, there was a young lady sitting in the back. Her name is Svetlana. And every time we would worship, Svetlana would be praying, not in British English, but in American English. And that really surprised me because I didn't think anybody there besides Pasha, my interpreter, could speak English. So I kept asking Pasha, I said, is she speaking English? He said, well, sure sounds like it. And I got up in the middle of song service. I said, look, it, I don't mean to interrupt, but I said, sister, do you speak English? When I said that, the congregation laughed. And she said, brother, I don't know even one word of English. I said, let me tell you something. You may not know English, but every time you speak in tongues, you speak American English. How would you like to know what you're saying? She said, tell me. She was saying, God, my God, Father, my Father, I have joy, joy, joy. Listen, don't tell me the Holy Ghost is not real. Don't tell me the Holy Ghost is not being poured out. Hallelujah. Another time in Holland, the exact same thing happened to me. I was praying for a lady to receive the Holy Ghost. And in Holland, a lot of people speak English. A lot of people don't. But I thought she spoke English because the whole time I was praying with her, she was speaking English. When I talked to Brother Tuttle, I said to him, I said, I've been trying to pray with her to receive the Holy Ghost, but she only speaks in English. He said, she doesn't know any English. 
Nash Bog Seme Goshe Bog. Our God's an awesome God. Let me tell you this. I'm not going to go a long time here. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, it says, And God gave some pastors. This man right here, God gave. Amen? That's what the Bible says. God gave pastors. Your gift from God is your pastor. Now, it doesn't matter whether you like the way it's gift wrapped or not. That's God's business. But that is your gift from God. Why? The Bible says for the perfecting of the saints. You know what that means? That means the maturing of the saints. Well, why would God give you a pastor to to, uh, grow you in him? Keep reading. It says, for the work of the ministry. In other words, he is not the only person that does the work of the ministry. Now, you may not have a pulpit ministry. You may not have a teaching ministry. But every single believer has a ministry of winning the lost. Because God so loved the world that he gave. He did not give you the Holy Ghost so that you can jump pews or feel goosebumps or run around camp during song service. He gave you it for a purpose. In Mark, the 16th chapter, it says this, And these signs shall follow them that believe. I don't care if you're Catholic, Baptist, Lutheran, Presbyterian, or whatever. And by the way, there was none of that in the scriptures. There weren't all those divisions. There were just believers. And I don't care what you call yourself. You can call yourself peanut butter and jelly if you want to. doesn't matter. The Bible says these signs shall follow them that believe. If you're a believer then the Bible says these signs will follow you. Amen. That means every single one of us. I I wish I had mirrors. I'd pass them all out and have you look into it so you know who I'm talking to. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues and so on and so forth. Yes, God saved you, and what a blessing. I'm so thankful to be free of my sin. I'm so thankful to be baptized in his name. I'm so thankful that God hears my prayers. I'm so thankful that when I fall, I have a high priest. I'm thankful that I have an advocate with the Father. And what a privilege it is to be called by his name. But we also have an awesome responsibility. Personally, I'll just tell you personally, to me, the worst enemy of the cross is a lukewarm Christian. Jesus said, be hot or cold or I'll spew you out of my mouth. Listen, I'm called to the mission field overseas, but every single person in this building that has been baptized in his name and filled with his spirit, you are called to be a missionary where you live. Now, you can say, I don't know much or I, whatever. Listen, you probably know the saying, people don't care how much you know 
as long as they know how much you care. And if you have the love of God in your heart, you will have the love of the lost in your heart also. For God so loved the world. Listen, you young people that are in school, you're the missionary in that school. God has called you to be a light in darkness in that school. He didn't call your pastor to go to that school and be a witness. He called you to be that witness. Every single one of us, if we work out of the home, we are a witness where we work. We're a witness in the gas station, grocery store, on the sidewalk, with our neighbors, with our families. Because God so loved the world. I'm going I'm to stop with this right here. There's a young girl named Tanya Zezhnevskaya. Tanya was 13 years old. I'll tell you how Tanya came to come to our church. We rented a small building where her grandfather was a janitor. And he told Tanya about it. Tanya came to our church, 13 years old. She was baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. We got her parents' permission. And Tanya started learning piano. She became our piano player. Few years went by, and Tanya's parents got very jealous of her, and so they forbade her to go to church. As a matter of fact, she came home from school one day, and her parents had taken all Christian materials, her Bibles and everything, and threw them out of the house. And when Tanya came home, her mother grabbed her by her hair and put her on the kitchen floor and cut her hair off because she knew she was growing it to the Lord. They had a family dog, and Tanya would walk that family dog and secretly meet up with other believers of the church. We had mostly young people. And Tanya, when she met the believers in the park, she said, what did Brother Nichols preach? What scripture did he use? What did he say? And by the way, do you have a Bible? I need a Bible. And she smuggled that Bible home. And late at night when her parents were sleeping, she would get up and look up those scriptures that I preached. She was a very intelligent young lady. She got to go to the university, and she got a scholarship of $5 a month. Every so many weeks, I would get an envelope from one of the believers who met Tanya. And she said, give this to Brother Nichols. You know what it was? Her tithes. Her tithes. I come back to America, and I see bumper stickers, honk if you love Jesus. Are you serious? Even geese can honk. <laughs> How about pay your tithes if you love Jesus? There's a novel idea. I hated taking those tithes. But I knew she was offering them to the Lord. While she was at a university, a young man named Sergei was very interested in Tanya, but he wasn't in the church. By the way, he had an incurable disease. Tanya, at school, laid hands on him, and God healed him of an incurable disease. She said this, you want to date me? Fine. Here's, my, here's the phone number of my pastor. Call him. 
He did. Started coming to church. Repented of his sins. Were baptized in Jesus' name. Received the Holy Ghost. And after so many years, Tanya graduated from the university. And when she did, she was now 22 years old, and she announced to her parents, I have obeyed you, and I have not gone to church. But I am a Christian, and Christians go to church. I am of age, and I will be going to church from now on. Tanya came back to church. Sergey was serving the Lord. Make a long story short, they now have two children, and they pastor a little church in Marina Gorica, Belarus. Listen, don't tell me you can't do it. Don't tell me that people laugh at you. Don't tell me that people mock you. Don't tell me that you, it's just so hard. Listen, we're one day going to stand in judgment with this generation. Let's stand. Listen, in Belarus, even still today, when you're a Christian, you'll probably lose your job. When you're a Christian, as a matter of fact, her parents now are trying to take Tanya's children from her because they feel like Tanya's brainwashing them. Last time I was there, Tanya was just weeping. Pray for me. Pray for me, she said. My parents are trying to take my children from me. We live in a horrible generation. We really do. You know, I left America going on 26 years ago. And I have to tell you this. I didn't come back to the country I left. It's so different. I'm not just looking back at the good old days. I'm just stating a fact. And let me tell you something. The Democrats are not going to save America. Neither are the Republicans. Only God can turn this nation around. And when I look at what's happening in America and all over the world, I don't and listen, by the way, there's a great revival. I didn't have time to tell you about the Muslim countries we go to, like Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan and Azerbaijan and over down by Iran and the Republic of Georgia and how the Muslims are coming to God in droves. You're not going to hear about it because we can't publicize it. When I see what's going on in America, I don't blame the sinners. I expect sinners to act like sinners, talk like sinners, walk like sinners, think like sinners. You know why? Because I was one of them. But if America is losing out with God, it's because we're not busy about our Father's business. God called us to be a light to a lost and dying world. He called you to stand up in the face of adversity. I've heard people say, well, I, sometimes I just don't feel like it. Well, I'm sorry, but Jesus didn't feel like going to the cross. But he did. We're missing out on miracles. We're not doing what God called us to do. 
You will never see a miracle doing things according to your thinking. Because God said, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. It's only when we're aligned with the Spirit of Christ that we're going to see miracles. Soviet Union, all the Slavic languages, Polish, Russian, Czech, all that. Whenever the saints leave one another, they say zvogum, zvogum. I love that saying because zvogum means go with God. The reason I love that because it seems like in America we want God to go with us. There's a big difference between God going with us and we going with God. You see, God may not want to go where you're going. God may not want to do what you're doing. God may not want to see what you're seeing. You need to be busy about our Father's business. Why don't we just, if the Lord spoke to your heart tonight, why don't we just find a place you can come up here at the altar? Why don't we just find a place to pray? And how about if we stand in the gap tonight and say, God, here I am, send me. Now, don't look around, see who's coming. You know, in Eastern Europe, they know whether or not they feel a tug of the Lord on their heart, and they just come. Don't worry about who's coming. If God's tugging your heart, you come. But let's find a place to pray and say, God, if you're going to send somebody, send me. If there's going to be a witness in the school, let me be it. If there's going to be a witness out on the street, let me be it. If there's going to be a witness at work, let me be it. Lord, you can count on me. For, Lord, I know that you've called me to the lost and dying generation. Let me be your witness. In Jesus' name, hallelujah.